Hey everyone, Josh here. Quick question for you. Do you like coffee? Even more important question, do you like fresh coffee? Coffee that's roasted to order and doesn't taste like the bottom of your kitchen oven. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to head over to McQuanoCoffee.com and get yourself some of the best coffee there is to get. Whether you like the light roast or the dark roast or you're feeling a little whimsical and you want to get that sample pack, McQuano Coffee Roasters has everything you need. And just when you thought this couldn't get any sweeter, make sure to use the promo code REFORMATORY to get 20% off all bagged coffee. Do yourself a favor and stop drinking bad coffee because you know what? Life's too short for that. Head on over to McQuanoCoffee.com and use the promo code REFORMATORY to get 20% off all bagged coffee. You will not regret it. Thanks, and now on to the show. What do you got for me? What's wrong with you people? I got nothing for you. What's wrong What's going on, everyone, and welcome to The Reformatory, the podcast for the local church, by the local church. And, uh, we are down one local churchman today. Uh, Jack and his wife are, I forget if it's Taiwan or, or Indonesia, I don't know where he's at, but anyway, they're off on vacation, having a fantastic time, uh, and he left me in the lurch. So something, you know, I don't know why we're surprised, something Jack would do. Um, it's something that I'm used to with my co-hosts on this is just up and leaving me just kind of, you know, it's something that we have to deal with on the podcast, but that's okay. Never fear because we're filling the time with Jack being gone with some, uh, really exciting, uh, uh, interviews with people that we wanted to bring onto the podcast and talk about local church center topics. Um, and today I am very, very excited because I have a friend of mine, on the podcast. He agreed to come on very last minute. He's throwing me a bone and I'm thankful for it. But we have Pastor Brian Borgman on the podcast today. Uh, Brian, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. It's good to see you. Um, it already looks as if you have that that nice hot Nevada sun blaring into your face right now. Yes, it's always sunny in Nevada. Always sunny in Nevada. It sounds like a TV show. Um, so I, I, I got to tell you, Brian, and I'm not telling you this for any sympathy because I know I will gain none, but it was 85 here yesterday, and I put something up on social media, which you know is always a mistake, but I decided to do it, saying this is this is horrible. I don't like this. I hate I hate how hot it is. You would not believe the level of animosity I received, particularly from individuals that are more down south, calling me things like poor baby. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually most of them. That, that's actually most of them. Uh, what what temps are you guys getting down there right now? Oh, I think it's supposed to be over 100 today. But, you know, where we live, we're at 5,000 feet elevation. So it never gets humid. I mean, the, the humidity is always so incredibly low. It doesn't really seem that bad to me. 
Okay. All right. Well, that's good. But I think it's that's supposed good. to be 101 or something like that today. Yeah, that's still that's still hot. Yeah. <laughs> that's still, yeah. That's so I mean, hot. my recommendation would be that that snowflakes stay out of the heat. Oh my goodness gracious! Look at this. It's already starting. It's already starting. We haven't been we haven't been three minutes into the episode, and I'm already getting it. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen, by the way. All right. People need to understand that I had Brian on knowing, knowing that I was going to receive some mega flack. And the only way that I that I can think of to to deflect it is to put it on somebody else. We might have to throw it on Daniel. (laughs) If I feel like I'm getting too much, I'm going to I'm going to dangle the carrot of like, hey, hey, we can both make fun of Daniel. Let's do that. It'll help. Strategy Um, will work. Oh dang it! Goodness, man. You're too good, Brian. I don't. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Al- I'm already nervous. Um, so, Brian, what I was hoping to talk about today, actually, before we hop into our topic, for our, some of our listeners that that might not know you, haven't you know read any of your books or, or seen you at some conferences, things like that, can you give us just a quick intro about who you are, what you do, and then tell us tell us about uh, your your particular local church down there in Nevada. Yeah, so, you know, I went to um, Bible school, went to Biola, and then went to Western Seminary and been to a few seminaries since. But in 93, after I graduated with my my MDiv, we moved here to the Carson Valley in Nevada. And, of course, 93, that was quite a while ago now. And it really was a very underchurched area. Um, very clearly, Nevada is not the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. And so we started uh, Grace Community Church. We had our first formal morning service on March 6, 1994. And uh, the Lord has been very, very faithful to us ever since. Um, we just keep plodding along. Um, we're a, a confessional Reformed Baptist church. We do expository preaching. We have, I believe, um, heartfelt and God-exalting worship. We have a wonderful, wonderful congregation. And uh, there are five elders. Three of us are full-time. And we have, uh, I think, seven deacons. And so uh, the Lord has been really, really kind to us over the years. And we, we love it here. Uh, it's a beautiful place. If you have to live in Nevada, the Carson Valley is where you should live. So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I had the blessing of being able. So, for those who might who might not know, some of you do, but for those of you who might not know, uh, uh, Brian pastors the church down there in Minden. That our our original co-host Daniel Corey, good friend of 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 mine, uh, now pastors at. Um, yes. So he he moved down. How long has it been now, Brian? We're going on. F- Four or five months. I think it was March, wasn't it? Yes, it was March when uh, when he and his family finally yeah. arrived. Yeah, yeah, yes. I had the blessing of being able to visit uh, visit Grace down there and uh, see Daniel's uh, installation service, which was fantastic. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. It was a very joyous day, and uh, Brian ha- Brian cooked me one of the best steaks that I've had in a long time. Uh, and it was, it was a great time, great time had by all. Um, but, uh, Brian, some people might not know, and I'm sure we'll get into this, uh, get into this a little later, but you, you are, you are a big, you're a big baseball guy. I love baseball. 
Yeah, yeah. Something I love about following Brian on uh, on on Facebook is all of the all of the 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 baseball videos that you will share from the eighties and nineties. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, which which team's yours again? I forget. I'm a uh, struggling San Francisco Giants fan right now. We're on a losing streak. <laughs> Hey, that's okay. That's all right. Mariners, Mariners, we're on a winning streak, but then we just lost it. So we're we're back. We're back with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Better to be a Giants fan than a Mariners fan. Hey, but you know, I knew I knew we were going to get into this too. I see. I regret every time. You know what? We're just sticking to to theology on this one. But see, there's going to be something there I regret too. <laughs> Brian, you're you're just too sharp, man. You're too sharp. Um. So, Brian, something that I'd love to get into today. And and hear hear from you. How long how long have you been a pastor now, Brian? Well, I suppose it depends on when we start counting. I I became an assistant pastor very young at a Christian and Missionary Alliance church okay. in 1987. Okay, and did that for a couple of years, and then did my internship um, at a church in Portland. Uh, until 1993, um, served uh, that church and, and loved the pastor, loved the church. Uh, and then in 93, we moved here. And so I've been here every, ever since. So yeah. basically had two uh, short-term uh, pastoral experiences before coming here. Okay. All right. So it's a so long it's, time, 35 years, if you want to go back to the first church yeah no absolutely absolutely yeah so the lord has been the lord has been good to give you a lot a lot of experience in ministry and when you've been in ministry for as long as you have uh i'm sure you have you have run the gamut of the things that you have seen both good and bad um and i'm sure that when you think back to when you first started to the things that you know and put value and energy into now i'm sure you see some difference Right to when oh, yeah. uh, when you first started in ministry and you were green and you know cutting your teeth and and to where the Lord has you now thirty five years later um, we we hope that there's a difference right we hope that 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 we become more sanctified and more seasoned and 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 gain in wisdom in, in how to you know best lead and shepherd a church so what I wanted to talk to you today Brian uh, is is talk to you about some advice that you would have for young pastors, pastors that that uh, are, are fresh into ministry, perhaps individuals that are maybe in an elder candidacy seeking to get into ministry, right? Whatever, whatever the case may be, I would love to hear from you and hear from the years of wisdom that God has given you uh, to talk about advice, uh, kind of some perhaps do's and don'ts, mistakes, things to do. For guys that are coming into ministry, young, young, young ministers. So, if we could, why don't we start with um, when you think back, uh, and maybe not particularly things that that you did, but things that you have seen. Uh, what are some common mistakes that you have seen made by those that are fresh in ministry? And share some wisdom on how maybe we can avoid some of those. Yeah, I think. I mean. I made plenty of mistakes um, and some, you know, completely just regretful mistakes, others just dumb lack of wisdom mistakes. But I would say to, to, to young guys that are going in, as I look back, uh, I would say 
one of the one of the things that we have to start with is um, don't don't go into ministry unless you are convinced that you are truly called. Hmm. And of course, calling is is a pretty big subject, and I don't want to um, overly simplify it. But there's sort of a trend today that that concerns me, especially by people in our camp, that basically rationalize the call to where there's there's almost nothing supernatural about it. Mm. Um, I think that that having that internal sense of of calling, that internal desire. Um, that this, this is what I am. This is what I'm called to do. And then to have that, in a sense, recognized and affirmed by your local church, which underscores the importance of being in a good, solid, biblical local church. Yeah. Um, just having, having that sense of calling. One of the things that I do think is a, is a mistake today is people entering into ministry without that sense of call. And I, you know, I was reading a little earlier this morning, this uh, wonderful new book, um, Theology for Ministry, How Doctrine Affects Pastoral Life and Practice. It's basically essays in honor of Sinclair Ferguson. Mm -hmm. And um, the opening chapter actually gives some really disturbing statistics on guys that are unhappy in ministry, that if they could do something else, they would do something else. And so I would, I would just really start with the idea of be fully convinced in your own conscience, your own heart, ratified by a solid local church, that this is what you are to do. Um, okay. some, of the other, some of the other things that I would just warn young guys about is um, <clears throat> keep your keep your gifts um, in perspective. Um, no matter what you think, you're not the next Spurgeon, um, <laughs> you know. And sometimes uh, pride goes with being young, and I think a lot of times you get guys that that end up believing that that they are, in a sense, sort of the next big gift to the church. Sure. Um, those big gifts are rare. Um, we need to be content with being ordinary gifts and, uh, and we need to be content with ordinary gifts. And yeah. so yeah. Um, I think that that is really a big thing because what can happen is um, <clears throat> you can start to get discouraged pretty quickly when, um, when attendance is down and you start thinking, What's wrong with these people? They just missed one of the greatest sermons <laughs> preached in North America in the 21st century. And, um, you know, and that, that doesn't help you. It doesn't help the people. Um, the other thing I would really warn against, and I know I, know I was, I was um, guilty of this. I was subject to it. And that is, um, here you are, you're pouring your, your life into the church, or at least you should be, right? You're pouring your life into a local church. You're, you're doing your best by God's help to love people, to serve people. Um, you see the centrality and the importance of the local church for the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, 
you end up seeing people in the local church that don't have the same level of conviction nor commitment that you do. And it's easy to create an us versus them mentality that uh, that ends up, it can taint your preaching and it can end up being um, something that turns into um constant calls for deeper commitment. Um, it can turn into, uh, at times, even a scolding. And, uh, and, and I think that that ends up, that, that, first of all, it never works. Sure. Yeah. Nobody, nobody mm-hmm. ever says, oh, I should be a more committed church member because uh, the pastor just went on a rant. Yeah, he just beat okay. me over the head yeah. with, with guilt. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody, nobody responds to that. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, is that it ends up, it can really be just sort of a venting of our own pride. And, yeah. uh, and in some ways, it's really easy to make ministry about yourself instead of Christ. Mm. And Sometimes the deeper the disappointment with people uh, is is sort of a reflection mm-hmm. of our, our discontentment with just serving Christ. And so th- those are some of the things. I mean, there are there are many many other things that we should you know be wary of. Yeah. Um, you know. I mean, thankfully, um, God does keep people and keeps pastors, but we also know that there've been just, you know, just one tragic story after another of men disqualified themselves from ministry. And I would say that there, there needs to be um, one, you have to be on high alert internally of what's going on in your own heart. Mm. Paul tells Timothy in first Timothy four 16, watch closely over your life and your doctrine. It's not just your doctrine. It's not just make sure you've got, you know, the, the, the Trinity, right. Is it, that's important, <laughs> obviously. Um, but it's also, Hey, watch over your life, you know? And I think that setting up the um, accountability with your fellow elders and stuff is just important. And I think maybe one of the mistakes that young men can make is, not realizing how dangerous ministry really is in terms of temptation, in terms of uh, the potential to bring reproach to the name of Christ. Mm. And uh, Richard Baxter in, in The Reformed Pastor, this is a rough paraphrase, but he reminds pastors that you have a bigger target on your back. You know, Satan takes out one of the one of the infantrymen on the front line, that's, that's a victory. But if he can take out a lieutenant, um, then that's a bigger victory. He can sure. scatter the troops. Sure. And yeah. so uh, yeah. just realizing the susceptibility that we have and doing our best to stay on guard and, and uh, to keep a close walk with Christ. So I'd like to, so, first off, fantastic. I, that, yeah, I, hundred percent cosine on on every part of that and something that I'd like to sit in for a second is you mentioned something when you're talking particularly about preaching um you you, you mentioned being on guard 
to not infuse the sermon with whatever frustrations you have with with your people, right? Something that I want to see, and, and it might be a larger discussion, but how do you how do you find the balance, especially as a young pastor, toward not not doing that, but also seeking and wanting to speak into the lives of your congregation in a way in a way that that you know they need? Right, so so you you have the greater context and picture of your congregation of your local church. You're in you know Corinthians or Ephesians. You're like, I want to apply this to my people, but I also don't want to do it in a way that 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 is you know in the fashion of what you're speaking about. Right? How, yeah. What advice would you have to a young pastor of how to how to biblically frame and apply scripture within your sermon without I would say going too far one way or the other and turning it turning it into some sort of rant. Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great question. And I do I do think that there's there's something about the way that we come to the text. So let's just assume that most guys are doing consecutive expository preaching as they should. As they should. Uh, <laughs> by the way, a commitment to consecutive expository preaching will will keep you from hobby horses. Absolutely. And um, fantastic we'll, point. And will and will also make you preach stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily preach. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if that's the fundamental commitment, then I think that the way that we we look at application is uh, our our commitment has to be that what we're going to do is we're going to apply the text in a way that is consistent with the text itself, right? Mm. So, so that, that sounds obvious, but it's not, it's not necessarily as obvious as we might think, because it's in the application that we may end up drifting into targeting people or, or trying to make application that is more of a, a venting of our own frustrations. And so I would say you, you have to make sure that you're going to apply the scriptures in a way that's consistent with the text that you're preaching. Mm. If you're preaching a passage that's dealing with assurance or comfort, you know, something like that, and it ends up, you end up going hard after people's consciences, you're not applying the text in a way that's consistent with the text. You know, if I'm, if I'm preaching, um, let's say first Thessalonians. So, uh, we have a, a fire conference coming up in the Pacific Northwest, and and uh, our brother Chris Cookston has suggested that we do a, a pastoral theology from First Thessalonians. Right. Well, there's so much in there where Paul is just dealing with um, uh, giving them assurance of of knowing how God has worked in them and the mm-hmm. evidence of you know, the work of faith and labor of love and all of that. And really, you get these first two chapters that are actually, yeah, first two chapters, I would say. And it's just full of comfort and assurance, right? But then when Paul gets to 1 Thessalonians 4, he deals with sanctification, Hmm. which is to avoid, I mean, Paul actually just says it. This is your sanctification. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. I think that 
when you get to that text, is it is it good to actually like warn people? The answer is yes. And I'm going to warn them because the text warns them. And so I I think the way to avoid letting our own um, frustrations kind of seep through our application is just by being just doggedly determined that I'm going to apply the text in a way that's consistent with the text. If it requires that I go after conscience because of, of a sin that is there, and you may be aware that that's a prevalent sin in your congregation. Mm-hmm. You have to be bold and preach it in the way that, that that honors the text, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people's lives to be brought into conformity to the Word of God, to build them up in their faith, that by the work of, of God's grace and spirit. And so I want to do that. Um, the, the minute that I start to just sort of throw up, you know, on people um, because of my own irritations or frustrations, then the preachings become about me. It's not about the word. It's not about Christ. It's not about building people up. It's about trying to get them to do what I want them to do. And uh, we should yeah. we should avoid that at all costs. Amen to that. I mean, and it's, it's something, uh, let's, let's put an even finer point on it. When pastors do that, you know, if I fall into the trap of doing that, I am at least at least practically putting myself into the role of the Holy Spirit because sure. I am I am preaching the word and I'm saying now this is how it must be applied to you. And if it's not applied to you in this way, it's not being applied right. Yeah. Right. When in actuality, we just like what you said, our job is to preach the word faithfully, whatever the text is speaking on. That is what we preach. And the Holy Spirit convicts the way the Holy Spirit wants to convict. Yeah. Right. And when we get that order reversed and we start going on the rants and we start, you know, getting on our hobby horses when it's not in the text, we are placing ourselves effectively as God, the spirit saying, no, this is now how you need to take this text. And if you're not, you're taking it wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is, which is such an arrogant place to be, but it's such an easy place to fall if we're not careful. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So with with that with that being true, something else that you mentioned, which I wanted to I wanted to to get into and 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 this will kind of serve as maybe a more of a transition into into more of the more of the encouragements to some of the young pastors, uh, the importance of of accountability, right? Now, one, granted, the importance of accountability never goes away. It doesn't matter how long you've been in ministry. You need, you need accountability, right? But it is so vital, so vital, especially to those that are fresh in the ministry. How would you encourage a young pastor as they're hearing these warnings and they're thinking about all of the, all of the ditches that they can fall in? It can seem very overwhelming, how would you encourage a young pastor to set up accountability for themselves within the local church? Uh, again, this could be a larger topic depending on how, the polity of the church and things like that. But 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 what are what are some what's some advice encouragement you would have for a young pastor of how to set up these guardrails and and these these pillars of accountability around them so that they can maybe avoid some of these ditches we're talking about? Yeah, I think that when it comes to accountability there there's um in a sense sort of a pitfall that we can easily fall into and that is um 
or pothole, I should say. And, and that is to think that accountability structures are what keep us accountable. Mm. And I want to say that, that um, unless you want accountability, structures will be absolutely ineffective. Yeah. Um, yep. So you could, you could have, um, you know, I mean, I know a, a pastor and, and they had a, a structure in, in their church where, I mean, like every week they would go through and just ask like really pointed questions, you know, have you done this this week? Have you trust, you know, have you mistreated your wife this week and so, so forth? And it was, it was highly structured. And the guy that is not that concerned about accountability can craftily get through the structures undetected. Mm. So the idea of, of accountability really begins with my own, my own heart, my own desire to realize that, that I am, I am first and foremost, I am accountable to the God whom I serve. And that accountability can be, in a sense, executed through um, the men that serve with me as we hold each other up. Um, you know, one of my one of my favorite texts is in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, where the writer says, you know, beware, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief, which falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so I have to have um, a, a, a deep, intentional desire to not be the guy described in verse 12. Yeah. That falls away from the living God. And if that's my deep desire, then I'm looking for that daily encouragement and I receive it. And if you think about that, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If I, if I know that sin is deceitful, my heart is deceitful, that's a bad combination. I, I want people to speak truth to me. And to love me enough to tell me the truth and to help me, you know, on my way to heaven. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, could not agree more. I think it's, it's, such a, it's such an important fact that we can have the greatest systems in the world, the greatest polity in the world. And, you know, being confessional, we have a certain church polity that we believe is right and we believe is good. Right. And you could you could be where, you know, where where we are, where where it's it's it's, you know, it's an elder led. You could be full blown elder ruled. You can be full blown congregational. It doesn't. The system itself is not the thing that saves you. Mm-hmm. Right. It requires. And this is going back to, I think, I think what what, what you were saying before is is having be, being real with with the gifts and being real with the calling is part of that calling is that you you're not you're not Mr. Vision Caster 
<laughs> you're not up. The, you're not the up there. You know, captain of the helm of the ship, and wherever you steer this thing, that's the way it's going. You're a man under authority. Ultimately, Christ, just like you were saying, but also your other elders, also the congregation, right? And that's and that's it's it's such an important truth to remember that you can have the greatest system in the world, but if you don't have a desire to actually be like Christ, actually have humility, actually submit to that because you know it's good for you, yeah, it's not just a hoop that you have to jump through, right? You actually, it there's I think there's a difference between seeing it as something that you kind of have to do like like taxes versus having having a desire for it right. actually wanting it because you know in the long run it's going to make you a better pastor right it's, it's going to make you a better shepherd and people are going to be able to 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 be ministered to through you much more effectively if you're not compromised yeah right and and I think, like you mentioned before, Brian, we we've seen, and it breaks my heart every time it happens. But we see so many cases in our society today. You know, even even in reformedom, of these men who rejected accountability. Yeah, and we see the blowups, and we see, you know, we see the ministries fall, and and and, and we know because we're 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 good counselors. That's just the snowball at the bottom of the hill. Yeah. That's something that started a long time ago and has been rolling down for a long time. They didn't just happen yesterday. <laughs> right. 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 Um, and, and it gets into that. It's, it gets into that longevity that, that you and I are talking about, that if you if you want longevity in ministry, if you want to be able to be successful for 10, 15, 35, 40, 50 years and be used by the Lord effectively through that time. It matters how you structure the road. Yeah. Right? And and that's yeah. I think I think a lot of young pastors perhaps perhaps underestimate how important those guardrails are, especially yeah. if they want to be in ministry for longer than, you know, five to ten years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so when you when you think about longevity, Brian, now you're in, you know, year, you know, thirty five and 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 Lord willing, many more. Uh, when when you think about uh, the the things you did wrong, the things you did right, the 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 idea of longevity in ministry. What is some good practical advice that you would give to some of these young pastors that are looking and seeking and desiring to be in ministry for a long time? What's some advice and encouragement that you would give to those guys? Well, I'll tell you, I I don't think that it's rocket science nor brain surgery um <laughs> there i think that that longevity begins first of all with uh not just a commitment to preach the word but a commitment to the word um you longevity to me is always uh connected vitally to just being um, awed by God's word. Um, one of the things that I that I love is like every you know I read through my Bible every every year like you know like a good Christian should. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there's that there's that guilt again, Brian. Come I know. On, yeah, absolutely. Gosh, you read your Bible every year. Every uh, year, yeah. every year, and but here's here's the thing: is MacArthur that, splits it up into into some nice proverbs and songs. For you. 
<laughs> but you know, the, the thing to me is, you know, I just no matter where I'm reading, I'm I'm thinking, oh, I'd love to preach this. Uh, it's ministering yeah. to my soul, uh, and you know, this this ends up, of course, leading to buying too many commentaries, but you just get enamored with, you know, these, the the books of the Bible and the truth. And, and there is just a love to just keep growing and to keep Mm -hmm. teaching and to keep, um, you know, expanding your own um, understanding and deepening your own walk with God. Um, I think that once, once that starts to go, um, longevity is, uh, is off the table. Mm. Um, if, if you're recycling sermons, um, you're just preaching old stuff, reheated. There's no zeal to be in the word. Um, longevity is not even an option at that point. And the other thing too, is that I would, I would say that to to really love the people of God as your family. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and to realize that that in in so many ways you are just simply a part of that family. Mm. And you're to be loved too. You're not to be re- revered because you're the man of God. Um, yeah, there should be esteem. Paul says that in First Thessalonians five twelve. You know, esteem those who have the rule over you, etc. But there's there's also a sense where you know what? I'm a brother, and I'm a brother in a family, and I love this family. Hmm. Um, longevity it, again is not an option when a person looks at their role uh, as pastor. And they think about it in terms of a career. They think about it in terms of a job. Um, you cannot you cannot detach what you do um, from what you are. And at the end of the day, you're an under shepherd, but you're also a sheep. Um, you're a leader, but you're also a brother. Mm-hmm. And so, being a part of the family of God and having that that love. Um, one of the blessings of longevity is, so for instance, I have between um, next week and the end of the year, I have five weddings. Wow. Look at and you. each one of those five has at least one person that's been in our congregation their entire life. Very cool. Man, that's awesome. Such a, wow. That is, that's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. And so you see these kids that were babies when they got here and now they're having babies. And, wow. um, you know, that, that, that is, you know, really something. Um, but I think that, that, I think that we should desire longevity, mm. um, we should avoid the idea of ladder climbing. Okay. Mm. Now that's not to say that God might not move you. 
Um, sure. I mean, that's how you got your associate. <laughs> God is free to do whatever he pleases. Amen, he is. And I'm, hey, hey, I, I was there. I was in full, you don't got to convince me. Yeah. <laughs> All the naysayers don't listen to this anyway. That's okay. <laughs> But what you know, what 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 underscores the longevity is that sense yeah. of calling, right? Mm-hmm. And that yeah. sense of calling is what keeps you anchored. Mm. Um, you start to doubt the the call. Um, you won't last, um, and that call can get you through, and not only can get you through a transition. But it also gets you through some really tough times and some dark nights and yeah. even times of opposition or hostility. Yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah, man. Yeah. Keep 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 your calling sure. Keep keep it in your mind. Keep the love of scripture at the forefront. Love your people. Like that is such you're right. It's it's basic advice. It's not rocket science, but it is so vital, right? And I yeah. think it's something Alistair Begg says is the the main things are the plain things, and the plain thing are plain things are the main things, right? And only he says it way way cooler because he has that <laughs> that nice accent. But uh, but it's so true, right? The things that keep us grounded are are the foundational truths of what we do. Right. right, you're like you're called to shepherd these people. You're called to serve them. You're called to preach. You're called to counsel. Like all of these things that you're called to do, these are the things. These are the motivations, because you see the change in your church. You see, you see the effectiveness. And sometimes, sometimes you might not. Especially if you're a new pastor, you might not see, you know, those 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 five weddings and twenty baptisms and and all of this stuff that you might be looking around seeing other other churches do. And that's why it is so important to keep that focus. That are you doing what God has called you to do? Are yeah, you preaching absolutely. the word faithfully? Are you giving them the gospel? Are you caring for their souls? It might be twenty people. It might be two hundred people. Doesn't matter. If God has called you to do that, and you are doing it faithfully, you are doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, right? And 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 don't lose heart because for the sake of one if if one person is a is 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 affected through you and the, the, it, it makes the life worth it it makes the ministry worth it and yeah. i think too many too many guys coming in perhaps because of maybe visions of grandeur or just because of the culture that we live in that tells them numbers equal success they lose heart and they and they, and they bow out early because they don't see the type of success that the world tells them they need to see yeah yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I would put a plug in right here for yeah, please do a, an old book. And when I say old, it's not really that old. It's not like written by Jonathan Edwards. Um, <laughs> not old like that. But is back, this guy still alive? He's still alive. Yeah. Okay, then it's but not this, that old. There it is. This yeah. <laughs> book has been around for quite a long time, and it was by Kent Hughes called oh, okay. "Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome." And I read the book 30 years ago, uh, and it is it is something that really should be required reading. I think, mm. um, you know, when when we started the church, um, of course, um, Bill Hybels and Rick Warren were the two hot commodities. Oh yeah, and. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I mean, church- Rick, Rick, Rick still thinks he's a hot commodity, but that's yes, a whole other discussion. Does, yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Humbly so, of course. Oh, anyway. hey, he, he only announced it in front of national television. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the point being that when we started, the, the church growth movement was sort of um, uh, at a height. Um, yeah. um, the, the purpose driven church had just come out or within a year or two of us starting, uh, and the, the, the temptation is to, uh, okay. The temptation is to listen to those guys. Yeah. Say it, and say it with your chest. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you don't listen to those guys. Yeah. Amen. You listen, you listen to, first of all, your Bible, mm. and then you listen to the old masters. You know, you, I, I think that most pastoral theology books, um, I mean, there, there are some good ones that have come out since we've started Grace. But if, if you look at the pastoral theology stuff that was kind of floating around, in you know 60s 70s 80s into the 90s um it it was it was pretty paltry it was all about methodology it was all about um Uh, systems and programs yeah 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 and very pragmatic stuff um grow your congregation in 100 days yeah you know how we did it seminars that kind of stuff (laughs) but i'll tell you that, that going back and and just looking at these guys who who battled, and I'm not talking about battling their congregation, but I'm who who experienced the days of small things. Yeah. Um, you know, be familiar with the old biographies, be familiar with the old pastoral theologies, because they they talked about the things that really matter. Yeah, they did. Yep. And how big your Sunday school program is, is not really one of the things that, that really matters. I'm not opposed to the church growing. In fact, I think that should be the norm and not the exception. Sure. Uh, but that's not, that's not within your purview. That's above your, your, your pay grade. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure really, it doesn't say Josh and Brian shall build the church. Yeah. I don't absolutely. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so one of the things that young guys can really do is just to be familiar with the old masters, um, mm. you know, be familiar, be familiar with um, Charles Bridges, the Christian ministry, mm. you know, be familiar with, uh, with these guys. And by the way, you know, Banner of Truth and Reformation Heritage books and, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, they, they just re- reproduce the stuff that has fed pastors' souls for 50, 100, 200, 300 years. Yeah. Rest in peace, your paycheck. But yes, <laughs> it's true. But yeah, it is so easy to get lost in Banner of Truth. <laughs> well, Brian, um, first off, let me just say, I, I at the risk of flattery, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, ever since I heard you preach for the first time at a fire conference, uh, I've, I've been, I've been extremely blessed by you, your ministry, your longevity, the conviction that you have. Um, I, I really, truly, truly appreciate you and value you as a friend. I, I, I really do. And, and, uh, 
thank you. Thank you for thank you for keeping the word high and setting a good example. Well, thank you, brother, and I certainly yeah. appreciate you and your your uh, love for the Lord and your humor. Um, <laughs> we try to keep it light. <laughs> you're gonna get a. You're gonna get a. Hopefully, a little bit bit of that right now before we leave, okay. Brian. Uh, before before we sign off, um, I wanna I wanna throw some I wanna throw some random questions at you. I wanna get down to the real Brian. All right, I wanna peel back all of the all of the glitz and all of the glamour and all of the all of the conferences and get down to get down to who is Brian Borgman. And I'm gonna do so with a bunch of hot take questions. We're gonna do our best to get you in trouble. Okay. <laughs> How's that for a preface? <laughs> Sounds fun. All right, here we go. At this moment, uh, maybe this week, maybe today, what is a either a band or a musical artist that you are really into right now? Bob Dylan. Oh, good choice. Look at you. I like that. Bring it back the classics. I love it. I love it. All right, Brian, this one is be interesting. And and I would love for you, because I think you're the guy to do it. I'd love for you to name names on this one. What's the worst book you've ever read? Oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> Charles Finney's Systematic Theology. <laughs> Wait, he did a Sistheo? I don't think I knew that. <laughs> it's neither systematic nor theology, but that's what it's called. <laughs> does he have an altar call section? Please tell me he does. <laughs> does he make the rain stop? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, all right. There we go. Charles Finney Sistheo. Don't read it. All right, Brian. Um, discounting war and diplomacy, how would you suggest countries settle their disputes? You can't have war. You can't have diplomacy. It's got to be something else. You get them in a room. They're doing this. Whoever wins, that's who we're going with. What do you think? Cornhole. Cornhole. I love it. There you go. Yeah, you guys like cornhole out there. I found that out when I uh, when I visited. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, d- didn't expect that. All right, Brian. One topic, no prep at all. You got to talk on it for twenty minutes. What are you talking about? A passage or a topic? Topic, topic. Yeah, yeah. I almost want to say non-theological because I know that for you is going to be super easy. <laughs> okay. Well, if, if if we say non-theological, I would yes. say I would say uh, American history or baseball. Okay. Love it. Love it. All right, Brian. Favorite genre of music. Worst genre of music. All right. Well, I am. I'm a country music fan. Okay. But like the old kind, not the new kind, which is not country music. You're not you're not into bro country. You're not into guys making love with their tractors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever we call it, uh, I've never heard it called that. But talking like Merle Haggard, Waylon Jennings, oh, Hank Jr., you, you know, way back when. That's that's probably my favorite. I also like classic rock. Um, yep. You yep. know, but those would be my two favorites. My okay. my least my least favorite, um, I, I would have to say, I, I've never really had an appreciation for rap of any kind. Okay, you're not a hip hop guy. No. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, that's too bad, man. Brian, I could see you flowing some 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 sick jams. You just you strike me as that kind of guy. <laughs> well, if I knew what a sick jam was, I probably you know. 
wouldn't float it. Just ask Daniel. No, don't ask Daniel. He won't know either. Never mind. <laughs> uh, all right, Brian. <clears throat> Uh, what what do, what do you resent paying for the most? What do I resent paying for? Yeah, yeah. For me, it's toll roads because here's my logic: my taxes built this road, and now you're going to charge me to drive on the road that I also paid for. I resent yeah. it with a passion. I would say that if we lived where there were toll roads, that might be at the top of my list. Um, okay. I think I think I resent paying for water. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I mean, they got to pump it up five thousand feet, Brian. <laughs> someone's got someone's got to pay for all that all that psi. <laughs> uh, all right, Brian, give me. One of your, if you can narrow it down to one, you can do more if you want, but but give me one of your favorite scenes from any movie. Um, I've seen the tombstone uh, poster behind you. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the vendetta section of tombstone would be one of my favorites. Um, the last, um, the, the scene in Gladiator, um, where oh, such a great movie. Yeah, where Maximus um, actually, even though he has his lung punctured, right, yeah. still triumphs and then dies. Um, I would say um, Braveheart. That I have a lot of favorite scenes from Braveheart, but I would say probably one of my one of my favorite is after the after the the lords betray him and he goes and gets vengeance oh, the, the on vengeance him. yeah the way they set that scene up where one of the lords he has a nightmare of it happening yes right he wakes up startled everything's fine and then the nightmare comes through yeah and the he, horse comes through the door he busts with through his door and it. lights yeah. his house on fire just yeah it's yeah. such an amazing scene amazing yeah. scene so i've got so so um one of my it probably is my favorite movie of all time is mel gibson's the patriot yes i i love the patriot with a passion right and one of my favorite scenes of all time comes from that movie and it's at the beginning when uh a gabriel his son gets taken away by the redcoats and he mel gibson's character grabs his two youngest sons and he's like okay remember what i taught you about shooting Aim yes. small, miss small, and yes. that little moment—that little moment that Mel Gibson has hiding behind the tree, where he, all he says is "Lord, make me fast and accurate." Yeah, and he goes and just tears the 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 troop apart. In my opinion, that's one of the greatest scenes ever filmed. Yeah, and his kids. Oh, his kids are crying because they've never seen their dad do this, right? And they realize, oh, my dad, my dad has a past. <laughs> Something. <laughs> My dad did things before he was my yeah. dad. <laughs> yeah. Now you may know this, but the the character that Mel Gibson plays mm. is based on Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox. And there mm. are historical parallels. The uh, British soldier, for instance, who locks all the people in the church is based yeah. on a true um, figure. And uh, Francis Marion's nephew was named Gabriel, who was killed by the Redcoats. 
Really? So yeah. So Francis Marion is 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 the real man. Oh man, I'm gonna have to do some study on Francis now. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that that had had historic. I, I I mean, I knew it was broadly historical, but I didn't know that it had actually, like. You know, he he took it from somebody. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Well, now I'm gonna have to go watch the Patriot again. Uh, didn't end up watching it on the Fourth of July. I usually watch it every year, but I missed <laughs> this year. All right, Brian. Uh, could talk movies uh, with you for hours, I'm sure. But uh, we have we have limited time. Just a few more questions for you, Brian. If you had to be a pro wrestler, what would your walk-in song be? <laughs> <laughs> I can honestly say I I've never thought of this before. Hey, look at us breaking new ground. <laughs> uh, I I mean I guess I would have to go with um uh like a Rolling Stone, Bob Dylan. Oh, there you go. You you go and throwback classic, right? There you go. You go confuse your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. All right, Brian, coffee or tea? Coffee. All right. If you could close one food chain, fast, excuse me, fast food chain, what would you close? Taco Bell. Yeah, that's what Sam Renahan said. What's with all the the, 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 the hate for Taco Bell? That's <laughs> that's interesting. You guys just must have, like, bad Taco Bells down there. I want to break Jill Biden's heart. <laughs> Now we get to it. <laughs> there's the there's the motivation. <laughs> All right, Brian. If you were forced, uh, if you were forced to sing karaoke, what song are you choosing? Bob Dylan, "Tangled Up in Blue." <laughs> Everything's Bob Dylan. <laughs> Should have seen it coming. <laughs> oh my god. Okie from right. Muskogee. Okay. <laughs> hey, there we go. There we go. Love it. Absolutely. Brian, I greatly appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thank you for helping me fill uh, fill my co-host's uh, vacation and uh, really valued our discussion, valued you, uh, valued just uh, what you guys are doing down there at Grace. And I'm looking forward to hopefully hopefully seeing you in person soon. If you're if you're able to make it up to the the PNW here sometime soon, that that would be that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So, all right, Brian. Well, ladies and gentlemen. You know what you can do? You can head on to uh, all the socials. You can find us there. You can interact with us. Uh, We would appreciate it. You can head on over to Patreon for uh, less than $5 a month. For less than a gallon of gas in some places, you can become a Patreon supporter and uh, your name shall be hallowed through the halls of the podcast. We really appreciate it. You can give us a five-star review. Let us know uh, how you found the podcast. Head on over to reformatorypod.com. And you can catch up on all the previous episodes. Massive thanks to my friend Brian Borgman for being on the podcast with us. We will catch you all on the next step of the Reformatory. <laughs>